This is Patrick Attaway, and this is Demise of the Podcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm having one of those days because, well, god damn it, this weekend is going by too quickly. So, I was not in work Tuesday. I called out of work because I woke up with my blood pressure soaring, and... Wednesday morning at 3.30 a.m. I woke up with it even worse. Um, If you haven't guessed why, it is mostly due to stress and anxiety. And it was related to the protest and all the other things going on in the world. So, yeah. That is how my week has been going. And I'm recording this in mono for some reason. Why is this being recorded in mono? I'm going to have to fix that here in a second. Who knows why anything happens. Today, I'm going to be, hopefully, finishing up Burning in Water, Drowning in Flame by Charles Bukowski. But before we get to that, we're going to go through our typical housekeeping of the, the podcast and whatnot. So let's let's have a stroll down Twitter lane here. Let's see if there's any talking points that I want to bring up, shall we? Oh, yes. Nobody has bought any of my books in June yet. Only four people bought my books in May. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, go buy one of my books. That'd be great. That's my advertisement for the day. Isn't that wonderful? Currently editing the manuscript for the next Trinity novel. So, I don't know what's going to happen with that because I didn't do anything with it today, but it's it's coming along pretty quickly, all things considered. I am doing some rewrites, but I'm mostly just editing, and the whole thing about that is I don't want to spend nine years working on this novel like I did with Demise of the Trinity, or eight years like Price of the Trinity. So... I'm going to fix this novel, get it where it's it's really good, but I'm not going to make drastic changes. I have ideas, but I'm also thinking about the next book because I'm writing a series. So I've left certain breadcrumbs in this book for the next book. And I'm now thinking about Price of the Trinity, so I just had a brain fart. Excuse me. But there are places that I sort of left hanging. Not plot holes, but things that I I put in place so I could explore those options in another book. And there might be a book after that with some of the same characters. I'm trying to keep as many characters alive as possible. I'm trying not to do the cheesy bring people back to life thing. But that is always an option too, given the rules that I've put into place on this world that I've built. But honestly, I want to focus on these characters and sort of do a book one, book two sort of thing and then go from there. Does that make sense? Does anyone have any questions? Raise your hand. Okay. So... Price of the Trinity, the book coming out in September. 
talked about it the f- past few episodes. I'm going to keep talking about it because I'm trying to promote it because I want you to buy it in September. So the book is about Ken Price. If you don't know who Ken Price is, go read Demise of the Trinity. So Ken goes to Jefferson Tate, which is a school that is based on Morehouse in Georgia. Morehouse is a historically black college. Now, I'm bringing all this up because of the things going on in the world right now. And you may ask, why would a white guy want to go to a historically black college? Well, uh, several white people have gone to that school. And in 2008, the school had their first white valedictorian. Well, a lot of people didn't like that. I saw a lot of comments on Facebook and news sites around that period about people upset that Morehouse would even admit white students. Well, I'm not going to condemn the people who said that. I don't agree with them. But when you really think about it, it does take a certain amount of audacity for a white person to want to go to a school that was put into place because black people could not go to universities and colleges that were already open. That's why it's a historically black school is because it opened during segregation when black people could not go to college. So Ken Price is very audacious. In earlier drafts, I explored race quite a bit. And as I got older and I saw changes in the world, I thought, well, for one thing, I'm a white guy. I, I don't know the the black experience. So that's one thing. Even though Ken is only giving his perspective, there's certain things that as an author I just feel I can't do. And ultimately, I really toned down everything as I brought everything together for this final draft. So, uh, one thing I'm going to note for everybody out there, race is only mentioned uh, maybe one time during the entire book. Um, That's within the first chapter when Ken says that he's white. Now, it's my understanding from black authors that I've read talk about this is that it's weird may be offensive when a a white author is writing a book that has white and black characters and they only mention black people as having a race. They don't talk about the white people's race. They never say he's white. They only mention people when they're black. So, also comparing skin color to food and other such items. Uh, Don't say that someone has chocolate skin. So, I have tried to do that the best that I can in editing and making sure I don't do dumb shit like that. But, really what I was trying to do is take a page out of Percival Everett's book. And, not literally. Yeah, I've got several of his books. And, just try not to mention race at all. And, leave it up to the reader. Because... Let's think about it this way. If our books are ever made into movies, a movie studio is going to say, well, we need more diversity in this book. We should make this character 
this race. We should make this character, this sexuality. Not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it goes to show you that things are really in the eye of the beholder. So I'm telling you right now as the author that there may be four white characters in this book. Um, not, not very many characters to begin with, quite honestly, but there are several African-American characters. And I really tried my best to make most of them pretty well-rounded because that's one of my worries. That was one of my worries with Demise of the Trinity. I'm always worried about how I portray women. I'm always worried about how I portray people of other races, people of color, because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want anyone to think, to come away from one of my books and say he's sexist or he's racist. Don't want that. Um, I genuinely want to put a piece of art out there that people are able to read and comprehend, for one thing. This is not my perspective. This is a character that I've contrived. That's their perspective. But Ken Price isn't racist. Uh, his perspective on women is a little skewed. It's because he grew up with an abusive father and a mother who was just simply not present. So, although it's it's worth noting that Charles Price, who is in Demise of the Trinity, does not abuse Ken. That's something that does not happen. Uh, unless you count what happens in the first chapter of abuse. Hmm. Didn't think about that. Well, in September, you'll be able to judge for yourself. I hope that you enjoy the book when it comes out. I hope that you buy and read the book. If you don't have the money to buy, just contact me. I'll get you. I'll hook you up. I'm going to drink a drink of Sprite Zero because I can't have as much Coke anymore due to the fact that my blood pressure is way up lately. I'm also not eating after dinner. I've had watermelon a little bit after dinner, but I'd like to think that fruit is okay, as long as I don't gorge on it. But my health, man, it has really gone down the shitter during this whole quarantine mess. What scares me is that places are opening up and cases are still increasing. So it's almost as if while, yes, it's less likely to get COVID-19 during the warmer months of the year, it's still going to happen. And then it's going to get colder. And this is another thing that worries me. Some schools are supposedly opening up in the fall. Uh, What's going to happen when it gets colder? If you think about it, most of school takes place in colder months. So... Yes, in Georgia, it's going to be pretty hot well and maybe even well into November. But, I mean, December and then January and February and March, it's still going to be a little chilly. So, I just burped. Are we ready to move on? I'm going to save this part and then we're going to go into the book. I don't get any feedback on how I go over text. Now, I don't want someone to DM me on Twitter. By the way, I'm going to talk about something on Twitter real quick. 
I don't want anyone on Twitter to DM me and say, hi, I'm just going to give you a few suggestions. No, I don't want that shit. So uh, someone on Twitter decided that it would be a good idea to call me and a bunch of other people out publicly about following some guy on Twitter. The guy made a racist post. So here's the thing. I follow back people if they say that they're an author. Okay. If they, I don't necessarily follow every single account back that follows me, but I don't also look at everyone's profile before I follow them back other than to see if they're an author and to make sure they're not from some weird country that is known for scamming people. I won't say which country. So, um, Honestly, I don't police people because guess what? I follow over 8,000 people. I have over 11,000 followers right now. So, uh, it would literally be impossible for me to make sure that everyone I follow and follows me is completely kosher in terms of what's offensive and what isn't. Chances are, none of them are. So, uh, I soft blocked the person who decided to call us out after I blocked the racist person because guess what? I would have preferred that you spoke to me privately in a DM or maybe you just made a tweet about saying, hey, don't follow this person. They're racist. That would have been nice. Instead, they decided to make uh, some weird statement out of it. As if saying, if you don't block them, you're racist too. Uh, you know what? Maybe that wasn't their intention, but fuck all, it's not cool to do that. I don't make posts tagging a bunch of people. That's obnoxious. Jesus Christ. Okay, let's get into the book. I'm going to need to take a sip of Sprite before I really get into it. Stew. Stew at noon, my dear. And look, the ants... The sawdust, the mica plants, the shadows of banks like bad jokes. Do you think we'll hear the battered bride today? How's your tooth? I should wash my feet and clean my nails. Not that I'd feel more like Christ, but less like a leper, which is important when poverty is a small game you play with your time. Let's see. First the mailman, then yesterday's copy of the Times. We might, this way, get blown up a day too late. Then there's the library, or a walk down the boulevards. Many great men have walked down the boulevards, but it's terrible to be a great man, like a monkey carrying a five-pound sack of potatoes up a 40-foot hill. Paris can wait. More salt? After we eat, let's sleep. Let's sleep. We can't make any money awake. So, stew. Ratatouille is French stew that is meant for poor people. Or so I'm told. Stew is something that you make when you don't have a specific dish that you can make from all the other ingredients that you have. So you just throw shit together. Now, a lot of people eat stew for enjoyment, but there was a time when people ate, the, ate stew because they had no other choice. Uh, my grandmother told me that she used to eat salad, not because it was stylish, but because they didn't really have a whole lot else to eat. They had lettuce and a few other vegetables, so they cut it all up and put it together, and that was their meal. 
So, stew at noon, my dear, and look, the ants, the sawdust, the mica plants, the shadows of banks like bad jokes. The shadows of banks like bad jokes? Well, they're poor, and banks are evil. I should wash my feet and clean my nails, not that I'd feel more like Christ, but less like a leper. So, yeah, they say cleanliness is next to godliness. Of course, that's a lot of bullshit, but one of the things that is really easy to let go if you don't have a whole lot of money is your hygiene. Because, well, despite the fact that Irish Spring is pretty cheap, things like your nails, maybe your feet in Bukowski's case, or your hair... You know, you might neglect them because you have other pressing issues. Uh, if you're living on the street, that's especially the case because you might not have a place to bathe. So we've established this poem is about poor people. Oh, God. What do you think of Bukowski? What's your opinion on him? Let me know. Lilies in my brain. The lilies storm my brain, by God, by God, like Nazi stormtroopers. Do you think I'm going tizzy? Your blue sweater with tits hanging loose, and I think vaguely of Christ on the cross. I don't know why, and ice cream cones. This July day, lilies storm my brain. I remember this, but... If only I had a camera or a big dog walking beside me. Big dogs make things concrete, don't they? A big dog to wrinkle his snot nose like this lake gypped of clear surface by a quick and clever wind. You're here, yet I'm sad again. I feel my pork chop ribs over my Lanchard heart. Ugh! Gullible! Hard-working intestines detecting penis! Chewed! Gum, bladder, liver turning to fat like a penny arcade trout, ashamed buttocks, practical ears. Moth-like hands, spearfish nose, rock slide mouth, and the rest, the rest, lilies in my brain, hoping good times, thinking old times, Capone and the Diamonds, Charlie Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy, Clara Bow, the rest. It never happened. But it seemed like there were times when rot stopped, waited like a streetcar at a signal. Now I, like a movie punk, Lily's up there, take your hand and we walk forward to rent a boat to drown in. I breathe the wind, flex my muscles, but only my belly wiggles. We get in, the boater churns the slime, the city buildings come down like ostrich mouths and hollow out our brains. Yet the sun comes in, zap, zap, zap. Brilliant germs crawl out our chapped flesh. My, I feel as if I were in church. Everything stinks. I hold the rubber sides of everywhere. My balls are snowballs. I see stricken bells of malaria. Old men getting into bed and to Model T Fords as the fish swim below us, full of dirty words and macaroni and crossword puzzles, and the death of me, you, and the Kazanjammer kids. Don't you love it when people read poetry like, Yet the sun comes in, zap, zap, zap. You might accuse me of that from time to time, but... 
I think that poetry deserves pizzazz. Like, poetry is exciting. Poetry is like rock and roll, bitch. I am dead. But I know the dead are not like this. That's the title of the poem, people. The dead can sleep. They don't get up and rage. They don't have a wife. Her white face, like a flower, in a closed window, lifts up and looks at me. The curtain smokes a cigarette and a moth dies in a freeway crash. As I examine the shadows of my hands, an owl the size of a baby clock rings for me. Come on, come on, it says, as Jerusalem is hustled down crotch-stained halls. The 5 a.m. grass is nasal now in hums of battleships and valleys and the raped light that brings on the fascist birds. I put out the lamp and get in bed beside her, and she thinks I'm there, mumbles a rosy gratitude as I stretch my legs to coffin length, get in and swim away from frogs and fortunes. What do you think of that poem? I sometimes read these and I don't necessarily know what they mean. And one of the things that's more common in Bukowski's later poetry, because this is stuff that's pretty early, is he's a bit more narrative and personal. And in his early poetry, I'm noticing a trend of him being a little bit more abstract, a little bit more obscure. Or maybe I'm just stupid. But the dead can sleep. They don't get up and rage. They don't have a wife. That's a little out there, wouldn't you say? I'm sure people would disagree. There are always people. There are always contrarians. Nobody likes a fucking contrarian. Nobody likes... But actually... No, fuck you. Nobody likes you, but actually... Alright, people. Are you ready for this? While I'm reading poems, I'm going to be going live on Twitter. I've tried this before, but here we go. We're in the middle of the episode, and I just decided to do it. Fuck it. We're going to be going a little bit further in the book. Let's not let's not dwell on where I am in the book. Let's just read, shall we? This is called Woman. This head, like a saucer decorated with everything as lip to lip, we hang in mechanical joy. My hands blaze with arias, but I think of books on anatomy, and I fall from you as nations burn in anger, to recover from most pitiful error and rebuild. This is it, loss and mending until they take us in, the glory of a Saturday afternoon like biting into an old peach, and you walk across the room heavy with everything except my love. That seems oddly apropos, as they say, with all this shit going on in the world. I don't get the sense that he's necessarily talking about a woman, but I don't know anything. Let's go a little further in the book, shall we, as we read Bukowski. Let's go to the next part of the book. The next part of the book is called At Terror Street and Agony Way, Poems from 1965 to 1968. The first poem is entitled Beer Bottle. A very meticulous thing just happened. My beer bottle flipped over backwards 
and landed on its bottom on the floor, and I have set it upon the table to foam down, but the photos were not so lucky today, and there's a small slit along the leather of my left shoe. But it's all very simple. We cannot acquire too much. There are laws we know nothing of. All manner of nudges set us to burning or freezing what sets the blackbird in the cat's mouth is not for us to say, or why some men are jailed like pet squirrels, while others nestle an enormous breast. Though endless nights, this is not the task and the terror, and we are not taught why. Still, it's lucky the bottle landed straight side up, and although I have one of wine and one of whiskey, this foretells somehow a good night. And perhaps tomorrow my nose will be longer, new shoes, less rain, more poems. It seems that in the face of bad luck, the worst thing that could happen to Bukowski is losing his beer. So, let's move forward. Let's just skip ahead, shall we? This is a great, wonderful episode of the podcast where everyone is just grabbing their genitals and hoping that... I will read poems. Oh, God. So this is called True Story. They found him walking along the freeway, all red in front. We had taken a rusty tin can and cut off his sexual machinery, as if to say, see what you've done to me. You might as well have the rest. And he put part of him in one pocket and part of him in another, and that's how they found him, walking along. They gave him over to the doctors, who tried to sew the parts back on, but the parts were quite contented the way they were. I think sometimes of all the good ass turned over to the monsters of the world. Maybe it was his protest against this, or his protest against everything. A one-man march that never squeezed in between the concert reviews and the basketball scores. God, or somebody, bless him. Well, God bless him indeed. You know, Bukowski could have been a serial killer if you took that poem out of context, couldn't he have? I don't know what to make of that. I mean, he is obviously playing with the form in all these early poems from the 50s and 60s. But, I don't know. I get the sense that the Bukowski of the 50s and 60s was angrier, in a sense. Because once he was in the 70s and he was comfortable, well, he could do anything he wanted to. But I think that in these poems, he had something to prove. So, let's go to a later poem in the book. Because I can't read this whole damn book. Okay, part four is called Burning of Water, Drowning in Flame. I wonder where he got that from. Could it be the title of the book? I don't know. So, the trash men. Here they come, these guys, gray truck, radio playing. They are in a hurry. It's quite exciting, shirt open, bellies hanging out. They run out of the trash bins, roll them out to the forklift. And then the truck grinds it upward with far too much sound. They had to fill out application forms to get these jobs. 
They are paying for homes and drive late model cars. They get drunk on Saturday night. Now in the Los Angeles sunshine, they run back and forth with their trash bins. All that trash goes somewhere and they shout to each other. Then they're all up in the truck driving west toward the sea. None of them know that I'm alive. That seems like more typical Bukowski to me. And some of you out there, you Bukowski experts, you might be saying, well, you know, there are different errors of Bukowski. Or maybe there's all just one big error. Maybe all Bukowski is the same. But I don't think so. I really don't think so. So, when you consider the fact that he just wrote about trash men, and the poem I read before, which is written several years earlier, he wrote about some guy that was found cut up into pieces. Well, they're both, yes, they're both sort of grimy, gritty, grungy poems, but he focused more on the trash of every day rather than the grit of the underground, if you will. Of course, Bukowski was the underground, so there you go. This next poem is called Charisma. The woman kept phoning me. Even though I tell her I'm living with a woman I love. I keep hearing noises in the environment. She phones. I thought it was you. Me? I haven't been drunk for several days. Well, maybe it wasn't you, but I felt it was somebody who was trying to help me. Maybe it was God. Do you think he's there? Yes. He's a hook from the ceiling. I thought so. I'm growing tomatoes in my basement, she says. That's sensible. I want to move. Where shall I move? North is obvious. West of the ocean. The east is past. South is the only way. South? Yes, but not past the border. It's death to gringos. What's Selena's like, she asks. If you like lettuce, go to Selena's. She suddenly, she suddenly hangs up. She always does that. She always phones back in a day or a week or a month. She'll be at my funeral with tomatoes and the yellow pages of the phone book stuck into the pockets of her mince brown overcoat in 97 degree heat. I have a way with the ladies. See, that's the thing. Bukowski's later stuff became more about conversations and narrative. I said that earlier and you didn't believe me. Damn it. God damn it. Okay. So another obvious trait of later Bukowski is his involvement with women because more women were interested in him as he got more famous. Uh, I guess that something about his writing attracted him. And honestly, Bukowski wasn't the worst working, the worst looking man in the world. He just had a lot of acne scars and he was balding and kind of overweight. But who are we to judge? So on to the next poem, shall we? This is called Save the Pier. You should have been at the party. I know you hate parties, but you seem to be at most of them. Anyhow, I took my girl, you know her, Java Jane. Yes, this party was at the merry-go-round where they're trying to tear the pier down. You know where that is? Yeah, the red paint, the broken windows. 
Yeah, anyhow, my girl lives in a room just above the merry-go-round. It's a birthday party for the woman who owns the merry-go-round. She's trying to save the pier. She's trying to save the merry-go-round. Plenty of drinks for everybody. My girl lives in the room right above the merry-go-round. Sounds great. I phoned. You weren't in. It's all right. Well, there was plenty to drink, and they turned the the merry-go-round on. It was free, music, and everything. Sounds great. My girlfriend and I got into an argument, all the drinking, of course. I'm standing apart from her. She's standing apart from me. She's got a glass of wine in her hand. I give her a dark green, deathly stare. She's stricken. She steps back. The thing is whirling. A horse's hoof kicks her in the ass. She drops down upon the spinning. It's all happening so fast. But I do notice that all the time she's circling to the music under those horses, she's holding her glass upright in order not to spill a drop. Brave. Sure. Only all the time her panties are showing, glowing and glistening and pink. Wonderful. How did they do it? They conspire. Glistening pink? Yes. So her panties are showing, and I think, well, that's all right. But it probably looks a hell of a lot better to them than it does to me. So I moved a step forward and said, Jane, what happened? She kept spinning around, holding her drink up, showing her pink bottom. There seemed something tenuous about it, deliciously inane. Stunted, glory finally coming forth, hollering, exactly. She kept gliding around, legs outspread, dizzied with life, vengeful. She must have cared for me to show her panties to all those people. Anyhow, she kept sliding around into her leg, hit one of the guy's legs. He'd step forward for a closer look. He was 67 years old with his wife, and they were both eating spaghetti off paper plates. Anyhow, my legs, my girl's leg hit his. She came bouncing off on her ass, still holding the glass of wine upright. I walked over and picked her up, and she still held it level. Then she lifted it and drank it. Sounds like it was a fine party. I phoned. You weren't in. Spiderwebs of dripping wet dew. Sex like bad Beth dreams. Exactly. You should have been there. Sorry. That proves my point. Even more. You didn't believe me. You said, Patrick, you're full of shit. That was a conversation. And it told a story. Did it not? Yes, I was right. God damn it. So, another attribute of Lady Bukowski is not only his mention of women, but also his shaming of women. And in that poem, there's a man who is obviously slut-shaming his own girlfriend. And if you ever read Ham on Rye, there's an interesting little scene that I just read the other day about Bukowski watching guard while this other boy is in the back seat with a girl and they're about to get frisky. And in this scene, this boy, he has this girl in the back seat. She wants to be with him. And all of a sudden he starts slapping her and calling her a whore. And then he can't get it up because he's a fucking asshole and he doesn't deserve to get it up. But... Isn't it interesting 
that while Bukowski is seemingly shaming these women, he's also showing what assholes their men are. And in his novels in particular, he's not very shy about showing what an asshole he is, too. Even on Ham on Rye, where he is a little bit more sympathetic, he's kind of an asshole. I mean, everyone in this book is an asshole. Maybe we're all assholes. Maybe that's what Bukowski was saying. Maybe. I don't know. As we conclude our look into burning and water drowning in flame, I want to make a note. Because today on Twitter, there was a another rousing of J.K. Rowling because she apparently dislikes trans people. So... People are debating whether or not to burn her books, as if that's been the first time that's happened. Um, I remember in the early 2000s when people were burning her books because they thought they were witchcraft and satanic and against God, but now they're burning them for a different reason. It's interesting when people on different sides of the political spectrum come out to hate you. Uh, I don't like J.K. Rowling. I don't give a shit about her don't like Harry Potter. I've sat through the movies. I actually own some of the books because when I was a kid, I read them. I don't like them. You know, one of the reasons why I don't like them is because they're children's books and I outgrew them. I was reading them in the second grade and I was literally the only person reading them in the second grade because when I was reading them, uh, other kids were saying, why are you reading that big book? Now, I really couldn't tell you if any of the writers on my bookshelf haven't done something terrible in their lifetimes. Because when you look at Bukowski and how people perceive his portrayal of women, when you look at um, Connor S. Thompson, a lot of the things that he wrote, uh, obviously, Hunter S. Thompson was trolling a lot of the time, but he wrote things that were questionable. Uh, then you have, ooh, Brady Sinellis. People say he's misogynist, sexist, what have you. But I just, at a certain point, you have to separate the art from the artist. And the difference between Bukowski and a lot of these other writers is that Bukowski really put it all out there. So you're not going to pick up a Bukowski book and say, oh, this was charming. He seems like such a lovely man. And then pick up Post Off and say, oh, my God. He, you know what you're getting into with Bukowski. So if nobody was able to separate art from the artist, then no one would read Bukowski. If anything, people are fascinated by that dark part of Bukowski's life which was exaggerated for the writing, of course. And most of the people who knew Bukowski would say he was a very gentle, quiet guy. He didn't really like people all that much. But, uh, you know, who, who, who can really say? Because I didn't know him. I can't say that Bukowski was a great guy. I tell you, I love his writing. So there's a part of me that loves him, too. But... If I found out that he murdered children, well, I'd still love his writing. 
I'll put it to you this way. If I'm able to listen to Charles Manson's music and enjoy it, then I can enjoy pretty much anything. So, there are people who can't separate art from the artist. I'm not saying that you're wrong to have your reservations or to have your principles, but I will say that you shouldn't try to dictate what other people can enjoy. Don't tell me I'm wrong for owning every season of the Cosby Show on DVD. I don't give a shit what you have to say if you bring that up. Because I love that show. So, this has been Patrick Attaway getting canceled. And this has been another episode of Demise of the Podcast where I am coming unhinged. You wonder why my blood pressure is going up. God damn it. God damn it. So... I'm also going to hell for taking the Lord's name in vain. Funny story about that before we go. Just indulge me, people. This is a podcast. You want more time with me. I know you do. You made it this far. You want to listen to me. So, I used to work at a place with a woman. She was my supervisor. And she was a minister. And... She told me she was over at a friend's house and he said, God damn. And she stopped what she was doing and she said, Did you go to church? He said, Yeah. Do you know your Ten Commandments? Yeah. If I ever hear you take the Lord's name in vain again, I'll never come back over here again. So, this is also a woman who walked out of Forrest Gump in the movie theater because apparently they said god damn um personally i feel that if god exists that he doesn't care if you say god damn for one thing god is a word that was not around when god first created the earth if you believe that we used to call him jehovah we used to call him yahweh and I don't hear anyone saying, yeah, well, damn. It would be pretty funny if they did, though. Here's the thing about God. I don't think he has a fragile ego. I think he must have a sense of humor to create people like you and me, right? So, to, to think that uh, that taking the Lord's name in vain, yeah, it's in the Ten Commandments. But guess what? The Bible is full of commandments. And uh, just because someone named fucking... Not Noah. God damn it. Egypt. Prince of Egypt. What is his name? Jo no, not Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Who is it? God damn it. Who is it? God, I'm going to lose it. I am an idiot. I don't remember who wrote the Ten Well, obviously God did in the story. But um, it's not Joseph. It's not Elijah. All right, I'm going to have to ask Siri because I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah. Who wrote the Ten Commandments? It's going to tell me who wrote the movie Ten Commandments. I know. Yeah, it says the 1956 movie The Ten Commandments was written by Dorothy Clark Wilson and Frederick M. Fuck you, Siri. Who is the Prince of Egypt? gonna tell me who is the prince of egypt right okay 
We're going to go to IMDb because I don't. I have a Bible app on my phone, by the way, called Bible Gateway. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Moses, I should edit all of that out because I I'm an idiot. How can I not be an idiot? I'm sitting here trying to talk about God and the Bible, and I don't know who Mo. I don't know his name. By the way. Ramesses was play, was voiced by Ralph Fiennes? I thought it was Billy Zane. I didn't know that Sandra Bullock, I didn't know that Jeff Goldblum, I didn't know that Don, Danny Glover, Patrick Stewart, Steve Martin. I need to rewatch Prince of Egypt. I think that needs to happen. Is it on Disney Plus? No, it's not on Disney Plus. But You have just listened to me be a fucking idiot for a good hour. Okay, okay, I've come unhinged, I am going to have a cool down period, I hope that you enjoyed the podcast, thank you for listening, goodbye.